Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 19? For the past three weeks, we've been talking about becoming a Christian from John chapter 3. If you wanted to, you could call this passage uh, entering the kingdom. You could call it the way to heaven. You could call it how to be saved. Uh, You could call it how to become a child of God. Whatever you call it, what we find in it are three must, three requirements, three necessities. For us, I've been calling it three must to becoming a Christian. And we've already studied the first two. First, you must be born again. That is, you must be spiritually reborn in a miraculous way by the Holy Spirit of God in your nature, in your heart making you a new person. And second, we've studied that you must believe in Jesus. Talked about for two Sunday mornings what that includes, what it means to believe in Jesus, that you must believe in what He says. You must believe in His Word. You must believe in who He is. You must believe in what He came to do. You must believe in what He will save you from. You must believe in what He will do for you. Today we come to the final part of this passage and the final message on it. And we also come to the third and final must in becoming a Christian. Let's look at the passage beginning in Verse 19, follow along with me as I begin to read there. Jesus says, This then is the judgment, the verdict. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth, or maybe your Bible translates it, but anyone who does the truth, anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that His works may be shown to be accomplished by God. From these three verses, in these three verses, we discover the third must in becoming a Christian, and it is, you must come to the light. You must come to the light. This isn't the first time in John's Gospel that we have encountered the subject of the light. So I want us to go back to that first time where we saw it in chapter 1. Go back to John chapter 1 and look at verse 4. In what's the introduction of the gospel? As John talks about Jesus, 
He uses various words to describe who He is and what He does or what He would do. Beginning about verse 4, He begins to describe Jesus in terms of light. So much so that even after John chapter 3, later on in the book, Jesus will refer to Himself as the light of the world. In John chapter 1 verse 4 it says about Jesus, life was in Him. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness did not overcome it or did not comprehend it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. And this is a reference not to John the author here, but John the Baptist. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now flip back to our passage today in John chapter 3. And as you're doing so, I'll ask you the question, what do we learn about the light that we must come to in our passage we've already read for this morning? What do we learn about the light, the light that we must come to in these three verses, John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21? I would say three things. And we'll spend the rest of our time talking about those three things. The first thing we learn about this light that we must come to is that the light is in the world. The light, this light, is in the world. And I take that from the first part of verse 19. Look there again, it says, This then is the judgment, this is the verdict of it all. And I think language like that is used, judgment and verdict, because maybe you would question after he's just gotten through talking about how belief in Jesus leads to no condemnation, but those who don't believe are already under condemnation. Maybe you'd want to know why in the world then would people not believe? Well, this then is the verdict. Here's the judgment. Here's the explanation for that. The light has come into the world. Chapter 1, you remember we looked at it just a moment ago, said that the light was coming into the world. But here in chapter 3, it speaks of the light that has already come into the world. And what this means is that the light that we must come to is not something that's inaccessible. That it's here, that it's among us, that we can get to it. And it would be more accurate to say that we can get to Him. Because if it isn't clear to you already, the light that's being spoken of here is a reference to Jesus. It should be clear from what we read in chapter 1. 
made even more clear here. When I say that the light is Jesus, it's a lesson for us. That contrary to what many would have us to believe, that the light is not merely a thing or a force or a power or a concept or a philosophy, but light is a person. Several months ago, we celebrated Christmas, and one way for us to, about, for us to think about Christmas from here on out is that Christmas is the celebration of light being born. Not just a celebration of lights, but a celebration of the light being born. Take yourself back to those opening words in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Where at creation God said, and let there be light. Can you imagine how in an instant, darkness turned into brightness. Seeing nothing turned into seeing everything. But even brighter than that initial light at creation was the birth of this one that we know as Jesus Shining in the world in all of its brightness in such a way that the world would never ever be the same again. In such a way that we could say that there is no light apart from Jesus. Not merely no light apart from the S-U-N, but no light apart from the S-O-N. Because you see, the S-U-N... Is just a picture of the S-O-N. Just a representation to us in in our universe, and our world of the one who really is the light. And who really shines. We could also say that apart from belief in Jesus, there is no light. That's why I said a few weeks ago that seeing is believing is not necessarily true but instead you could turn it around and say that believing is seeing we could also say based on what we read in john chapter one that if you don't have any light or if you don't have the light then you don't have life no light no life in what way is jesus the light Well, in His life, He's the light. In His birth, in His perfect life, even in His death and His resurrection, Jesus is the light. In His words, Jesus is like a light. He's the light. In His Word, which we call the Bible, which all of it is His words, Jesus is the light. And like a light, Jesus points and He shines and He reveals the way to the kingdom of God. Like a light, He points and He shines and He reveals the way to God. Not just to finding your car keys that you dropped on the ground at night, but to God. 
and to eternal life and to heaven. Jesus as the light points and He shines and He reveals the way to becoming a Christian. And He does it with His life. And He does it with His words. He does it with the Word, which is His words. As the light, He also shines and reveals and exposes what is good and what is bad. The issue of good and bad, right and wrong, wise and foolish, righteous and sinful, these aren't issues that are up for debate or up for a vote. It's not right and wrong according to you or according to me, or according to the population, or according to a majority vote. Things are good and bad, right and wrong, wise and foolish, righteous and sinful, because the light reveals them to be so. The very life of Jesus does this. The the words of Christ do this. This light is in the world. And what's really being communicated to us when it tells us here that the light is in the world is that Jesus is in the world. You say, well, He was, but He's gone. No, Jesus is still in the world. He's in the world in every person that belongs to Him. He's in the world through His Spirit that came to be a a helper and a comforter and a counselor in His place. He's in the world in terms of the creation that He's made. The light, Jesus is in the world. So much so that it makes the world without excuse for its unbelief. Again, we're not talking about a light that's inaccessible. You may wonder why the passage that we left off with last week speaks of people being condemned because of their unbelief. It's because they have every reason to believe. The light, Jesus is in the world. And that's why you must come to the light. The second thing we learn in this passage about the light is that the light is hated by the world. Did you hear me? The light, this thing that I've been talking about in Glowing language is hated by the world. I take that from verses 19 and 20. Let's read them together. It says, this then is the judgment. The light is coming to the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light. How about that? People consciously choose the darkness over the light. People love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. 
Well, there was a parallel to this in chapter 1. Flip back there again. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10, you remember we read earlier verses 4 through 9. John's talking about Jesus in terms of the light. In verse 10, he continues. It parallels verses 19 and 20 that we've just read in John 3. He, the light, was in the world, and the world was created through him. Yet the world did not recognize him. The world didn't even recognize the light who had given them the light of life. It gets worse. Look at verse 11. He, the light, came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The very ones that had always been looking for him always been told about his eventual coming. They did not receive him. They rejected him. You do know that when I say from verse 19 and 20 that the light is hated by the world, what I'm really saying is that Jesus is hated by the world. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? even goes against a lot of the polling and a lot of the statistics that you could read on the subject when you ask people of the world what they think about Jesus, the results are overwhelmingly positive. Now, ironically, you ask the world what they think about Christians, and it's not so positive, but when you ask them about Christ, fairly positive. How then do you reconcile that with what it says right here, that the world, representative of the lost people of the world, the majority of the world, they hate the light, they hate Jesus. How do you reconcile the two things? Well, I would suggest to you that when most people are asked about Jesus, they're not thinking about the Jesus of Scripture necessarily. They're thinking about a Jesus of their own imagination. They're thinking about a Jesus that they're comfortable with. A Jesus that they've heard about. A Jesus that they have created in their own image. And they love themselves, so they love Him. But when it comes down to Jesus as He's revealed in Scripture, there is no love for Him from the world. This explains the condemnation that verse 18 talked about. Why would people still be in condemnation? It's because they've rejected this one who has come to provide salvation. They avoid it, it being the light according to this verse. But what we could really say is the world avoids Jesus. They don't want any of Jesus. Why? I can understand people not liking me to a certain extent. But how could anyone not like Jesus, to put it in stronger language, the language of the text, how in the world could anyone hate Jesus, the light? Well, we find in what we've just read two reasons 
that the light, Jesus, is hated by the world. The first reason is because the world loves the darkness. Now listen to that. Don't let uh, the depth in it and the, the fullness of it slip by you. The world hates the light because the world loves the darkness. When this passage speaks about the world loving the darkness, what it's really saying is that the world loves their sin. And if we're not part of the world any longer in the sense that it's being spoken of here, we were at one time, and all of us who have been a part of it could say, and, and probably even those of us that are a part of the kingdom of God now could say from experience with our own fallen nature and sin that still lives in us, there's a part of us that loves sin. may not love it the way we used to, but, but there's a, a side of us that could still enjoy it. The world loves their sin. It loves their evil deeds. They enjoy it. They don't just enjoy it. They promote it. Sinners, according to Romans 1, are never satisfied with sinning alone. They want others to join in with them. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. She wasn't content with eating the forbidden fruit alone. She had to get Adam to join in with her. And it could have been flipped around and he would have done the same. I'll take it a step further. The world loves its sin so much that it goes beyond promoting it. It flaunts it in the face of God. Have you ever read Genesis about 11, Genesis 11, where it talks about Nimrod who was mighty before the Lord? And you might read through it and think it's speaking of that in a positive way. It's not. When it speaks of Nimrod being mighty before the Lord, it's talking about him flaunting his sin before God. Doing it in the face of God. His might in the face of God in opposition to the might of God. We see a picture of the world apart from Christ. Not just loving their sin and enjoying it and promoting it, but flaunting it before God. When I listen to some conversations, when I listen to some of you, when, when we talk together, many times I hear lamented and rightfully so how our world is different than it used to be. And this is the explanation for it right here. Now, I, I try to say this all the time. I don't want any of us to think that sin is new and that sin in the world is new. I think some people think that. Man, when I grew up, there wasn't sin around us. Oh, oh yes, there was. And maybe the primary one was everybody not thinking they had, they had sin. But I think this is what people are trying to communicate in our area of the world when they talk about how the world has changed. Maybe you just don't know how to verbalize it. What's different is that people flaunt their sin in our area of the world, maybe in a way that they didn't 50 years ago. Now, it hasn't always been that way in every part of the world, but in the part we're familiar with, that's changed. The flaunting of sin. 
It's because they love it. And they love the darkness. And they love the darkness because the darkness is what they know. You think, well, how could you not like the light as opposed to the darkness? But if all you've ever known is the darkness, that's your comfort zone. And the light burns your eyes. And it's new. And it's scary. And it's all of these things. Darkness and sin is the nature of the unconverted world. It's what's in their heart. It's what's in their mind. And darkness, you see, literally and figuratively, is the best place to do what you want without consequences. That is, without someone seeing it. Or without you thinking that there's someone who sees it. Now you may can find yourself in a dark corner where your husband or your wife doesn't see, your children don't see, your mom and your dad don't see. But there's no dark corner anywhere where God doesn't see. It's no coincidence that more crimes are committed at night than during the daytime. Why? Because there's that cover of darkness and the illusion of people can't see it. You know what animals love the darkness? Well, probably a lot, but I'll give you two. Rats and roaches. And they run from the light. And maybe they're a picture of what we're like apart from Christ. When I say that the light is hated by the world... The reason the text gives us one reason that Jesus is hated by the world is because the world loves the darkness. And here's the thing that I didn't want you to miss earlier. I didn't say it. I wanted you to to chew on it just a minute. You can't love both. You can't be full of love for Jesus if you're full of love for the darkness. Can't serve two masters. Our text gives us a second reason why the light is hated by the world, why Jesus is hated by the world. And it's because the light exposes their sin. They hate Jesus because Jesus exposes their sin. And that's why they said that they don't want their deeds to be exposed. That's why it's said in verse 20, they avoid the light because the light exposes their sin. I heard a story about a man who sent 25 letters to 25 men in his town and he didn't sign it. All he did was write, all has been exposed. Flee at once. And all 25 men left town. What would you do if you got a letter like that? All of us have things that we don't want exposed or we have had. That's why people hate Jesus. Because Jesus exposes their sin. And he does it with his own life. Again, I'm not talking about a Jesus of the world's imagination. I'm talking about the Jesus of Scripture. 
that not only talks about heaven, but he talks about hell even more. That not only talks about the love of God, but he talks about perishing too. And the judgment and condemnation of God. I always heard growing up that the best way to tell a crooked stick is to put it next to a straight one. Sometimes it's hard to see if a stick's crooked if you got it next to other crooked sticks. But if you stick it next to a straight stick, it will be exposed as a crooked stick. And that's what happens when anyone matches their life up to the life of Jesus. They see their own crookedness. Jesus not only exposes the sin of people with His life, He does it with His words. He does it with the Word, which is the Bible. And again, that's why the people of the world and even many people within the church have no love for the Word of God. They only want parts of the Word of God. The parts that pump them up and fluff them up and justify the way that they live. But they don't love all of it because if we deal with all of it, it exposes all of our sin. And when our sin is exposed, when the sin of the world is exposed, do you know how it makes them feel? Convicted. And guilty. And ashamed. It makes them feel judged. It makes them feel condemned. And it makes them feel scared. And I don't know how familiar you are with people, but maybe you're familiar enough with yourself to know that I don't enjoy any of these feelings. I mean, look, it's not like I'm saying at the invitation today, Wouldn't you just love to be convicted more? Wouldn't you just love to feel even more guilty? To feel even more ashamed? Wouldn't you love to feel more judged and condemned? Wouldn't you like to have more fear and doubt and worry in your life? Then come up here today and I'll give you some. No, nobody's coming for that. We've already got enough of that. We don't like those feelings. In fact, we hate those feelings in our nature. The world hates to feel like that. So, they hate the light. Because that's the way the light makes them feel. This is why Jesus is hated by the world. And it makes the world, and it makes you, if this is the case for you, without excuse for your unbelief. It's why you, it's why the world must come to the light. The third thing that we find here about the light is that the light is the truth. And I take that from verse 21. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Do you see the connection there between truth and light? Again, it's not the first time that we've seen it in John's Gospel. Once more, flip back to John chapter 1. Look at verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory. The glory is of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. 
Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The light, Jesus, shows us the truth about our sin. To do the truth, to live by the truth, is the phrase in verse 21, involves this, it involves acknowledging our sin. And that's a painful thing to do. I mean, when you really look in the mirror and you see the kind of person that you are, it's a painful thing. And it's painful for me too. Not very many days go by that in some way God doesn't remind me of the kind of person that I am apart from Him in my heart that I really am. And I'm appalled that I could be that way. That I could think that way. That I could be that selfish. That I could be that wicked. But here's the wonderful thing about the light. It doesn't just show us the truth about our sin. If we'll agree with what the light exposes about us, it'll also show us the Savior. It's like the best mirror in the world. When I looked in my mirror this morning, one of the guys from Beautiful Feet had a hat on. He had, I think it was Shane, left a minute ago with, with Mike. He said, hey, I didn't get to comb my hair, so I wore a hat. I said, I didn't get to comb mine either this morning. And every day the mirror shows me that. I mean, my kids every once in a while will get pictures out and say, Dad, this was you? You had hair? You were this skinny? You look this good? Or, or comparatively speaking, you look this good? My mirror is ugly that way. All it shows me is my flaws. It's never spit out any hair to fill in the, the lack of hair, loss of hair that I've had. It's never uh, cured the pimples that it reveals. Somebody asked me last week, I had a big spot up here on my head, and they said, uh, you know, folks in church are great this way. They'll come up to you afterwards, and they don't say anything about the sermon. They say, hey, what's that big old red spot on your head? Like, well, it's a zit. <laughs> your preacher's still going through puberty, and that's what it is. God bless you too. What's that third chin you've got hanging off there? No. <laughs> no I'm sure. I mean, you've got to be tough to stand in this place. Listen to me. Everything you do is, is up, for, up for discussion. I wore a hoodie to the banquet last night and somebody saw me and did a double take like I was wearing an I Love Satan shirt. (laughs) Just a little hoodie. But the mirror of the light, it doesn't just show us our sin, but it shows us the solution for our sin. And it's the Savior. When I say that the light shows us the Savior, here's a neat way of looking at that. Jesus shows us Himself. And He says, I'm the solution. Part of living by the truth is this, coming to the Savior. 
Now on top of this, the light shows us the truth about the way to live. And the way to live is in the power of God, in the power of the light itself. That's what that phrase, so that His works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Look, coming to the light isn't coming to the light so that we can say, hey, look at what I've done. No, coming to the light is coming to the light in the sense of being ashamed for what we've done, but in doing so, admitting, God, I need you to be the person that I need to be and that you've called me to be. What we're reminded of here is something we're reminded of throughout Scripture, even in the midst of this passage that talks about belief in Jesus being a must for becoming a Christian. What we're reminded of here is the connection between faith and works. Now, works are not a part of becoming a Christian, but I'll tell you what, if you've become a Christian, works are going to be present in your life. And if they're not, it doesn't matter what you say, you haven't become a Christian. The light is the truth. So when I say that you must come to the light, I mean you must come to the truth and keep coming to the truth. The third must in becoming a Christian, you must come to the light. The light that is in the world, the light that is hated by the world, and the light that is the truth. In this wonderful passage about becoming a Christian, we have found three must. You must be born again. You must believe in Jesus. And you must come to the light. Now maybe some of you are thinking, what about old Nicodemus who got us started in this passage? Did Nicodemus become a Christian? Well, not in chapter 3. But my best guess, based on the rest of Scripture, would be that yes, he did. Because we find him later in the Gospel of John, arguing the defense of Jesus in front of his peers, not in the darkness for fear of them, but in the open, arguing for Jesus. And at the death and burial of Jesus, one of the main characters is Nicodemus in a very open way that could have cost him everything, being a part of that. So Nicodemus, as best I can tell, became a Christian. But what about you? Have you become a Christian? I'll give you three more questions to answer that one. Have I been born again? Do I believe in Jesus? Have I come to the light? If you can't answer those three questions with a yes, you need to become a Christian. Seek new birth. Believe on Jesus. Come to the light. And you keep doing these things until it's settled for you like it was for Nicodemus.